It's Tuesday, July 31st, 2018, and you're listening to episode 492 of Fear the Boot, a show about tabletop role-playing games and a little bit more. Morning time for this episode is 57 minutes. Welcome to Fear the Boot. My name is Dan. This is Wayne. And my name's Chad. All right, before we get into it, two Kickstarters I want to point your attention to. Uh, neither of them are directly ours, but they are both being done by friends of the show that we really hope you guys will get out there and support. The first is Derek Knutson, who has been with us for a long, long time. And he's also really heavily involved in organizing Fear the Con, doing a lot of the charity work we Making do. Making you feel guilty enough to give money at the charities. But mm-hmm. to good causes. Very yes. good at that. I mean, Derek's grade A people. And he has a role-playing game of his own called the Universal Role-Playing System. And right now he is doing a Kickstarter where you can get a copy of that role-playing game and then also an adventure that he's written for it called Flower of Heaven. And if you want to check that out, which I hope you will, I will put a link to that in the show notes. Uh, as of this recording, you've got a couple of weeks still to act on it, so don't wait too long. Then the second one is Gamer's Table, which we now know as Gamer's Table right. because in their last season, I backed at the sponsor level, but instead of having them advertise Fear the Boot, I said I want to buy a consonant <laughs> that you have to capitalize either the S or the T. Mm-hmm. And so they did finally clarify it is the T that is capitalized. Ah, gamer so it's Gamer's table. table, not Gamer Stable. I like Stable better. Yeah, yeah. But they made a bad choice. They did. It's unfortunate. What they do is, unlike us, they don't record on a weekly basis. They instead do seasons, and they rent out a studio where they do the recordings, and they're also doing some video actual plays. Chris Hussey's on them, so I'm sorry about that. (laughs) But Eric is also on them, so you know him (laughs) as Junior, and then previously Motomar from the Skies of Glass actual play, and then he's also guested on the show several times. But they are right now are doing a Kickstarter to fund their second season. And if you want to get in on that, I will put a link to that as well in the show notes. And it's running, in fact, I think the two Kickstarters, Derek's and Eric's, end within a day of each other. Mm-hmm. So take a look at those. See if you think it's worth your money. I think it is. I have personally backed them both. And so I hope you guys will show them your love. All right. So with that out of the way. Today we're going to talk about challenge and response NPCs. There's got to be a better name for it than that. Probably, but that's the name you got. Well, we think of the topic. I thought the topic. We can at least reduce it to an acronym and call them car NPCs. Car NPCs, yeah. Yeah. Which means something very different in a Transformers game. Yes, it does. So a car NPC, call and response NPC, instead of being a specific kind of NPC, like a quest giver or a merchant or something like that, it's kind of a situation that is around NPC. An NPC becomes a car NPC based on how the players treat them. So I am about to say this came up in my last game, but that's not entirely accurate. Because what I'm about to describe happens in almost every single game I've ever been in. I've done it. I've experienced it as a game master. I've done it as a player. I've seen other people do it. It is a very common thing. So what happened? And before I start, I know I ragged on my group last time for being really scared pussycats. 
this is not me ragging on them. I, I, I want to go back to something I'd said previously. I see this everywhere with all groups all over, this and I've done it. Just the most recent example. Yeah, this is the most recent example that brought it to mind. And, and yes, I've run games for Chad. I've seen him do this. Absolutely. I have done this myself, and it's a pet peeve of mine when I run yep. games. So to set the scene, the characters are at the top of a volcano that has this big palace you know, cut into it. And it's all abandoned and ancient and stuff, but it's not really abandoned. And so in the top of this volcano are two orcs, and they shouldn't be there, right? They, the players didn't know they were there, and the players are in this room, and they're talking. Suddenly this orc bursts in and goes, you know, what in the hell are you doing here? You know, who, what, what, what are you doing here, sort of thing. And uh, they're like, what are you doing here? Now, what are you doing here? And they, they had this sort of exchange, and it didn't turn into a fight. And then the orc's companion comes through, who's like this, uh, I think in D&D it's called the Eye of Gromption. It's like a, a sort of a cleric priest character that has like a higher intelligence. They're smarter orcs, basically. And his companion comes in and she's like, okay, everybody shut up and let's just go have some breakfast and talk about this. And so she, she drags her con- dumb companion into the room and the players are like, you know, they have their hands on swords and bows and stuff and sp- Spells are right, like, uh, okay, breakfast sounds good, I guess. <laughs> Go into the room, blah, 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 blah. They're all sitting around to breakfast. Well, the plot has a lot of mystery in it, and there's a lot of questions, a lot of unanswered questions. I mean, they're only level two. They're about to go to level three, and so there's still a lot of unanswered mystery about what's going on. So imagine you start role-playing. The scene is described, the characters are introduced, and it's just like, okay, what do you do? Let's start role-playing. And they say this, I have the orcs say this in character, and they're all like blah, 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 and stuff. And the players turn around, and they say stuff like, who are you? What are you doing here? Why are you like this? Do you know about this plot thing? What about this plot thing? Are you involved in this plot thing? Who are you again? Why are you here again? Who do you think you are? Why are you here? It goes from... NPCs are no longer a NPC character. They are something to badger the plot out of. Right. It, it goes from we are sitting down to these characters. And I, and I want to also mention that the orcs, they had names. I gave them personalities. I made them distinct, different. At least I thought that they were kind of interesting, although I did set them up to be killed later on. And they were projecting intelligence and personality and a willingness to talk and role play. Yeah. So it wasn't like they just failed at initiating combat, it was a role-playing situation. And you sit down to breakfast with a tense situation, and then the players turned it into a police interrogation. Where were you on this night? Why did you do this? Well, your story doesn't make sense of that. And that's not how people act. Yeah, well, and to put this in a little bit of perspective, the phrase challenge and response is taken from security, and it's used in physical security like military stuff. It's also used in IT, in the computer world. Mm -hmm. And what a challenge and response is, is you are presupposing that there's a decent chance the person is a hostile actor. They're a bad guy. And what you're going to do is you are going to ask a series of questions It could be passwords. It could be stuff like, who are you? Where were you on the night that Mm -hmm. Mrs. Smith was killed? That type of stuff. And if they don't give an answer that you like, then you go back to your original presupposition that this is a bad guy 
and you arrest them or shoot them yeah. or lock them out of the security system, whatever it is that you're, you've got going on. And this is oftentimes what players do to mm-hmm. NPCs, that they don't just treat them as, we've made the old joke, you know, beat them until loot comes out. <laughs> right. But this is more of a verbal thing where you just lambast them until information comes out. But beyond that, you're not just badgering them with questions. There's a hostility to it yeah. that presupposes a moral superiority or mm-hmm. a social superiority that the characters don't actually have. Right. And that is player logic. And that's always one of my pet peeves when the players act indignant at your NPC. Yeah. You, Heaven forbid they don't want to give you an answer because you're yelling at them. Yeah. yeah. Or they defended their house that you broke into. And that's the one that came to my mind was there was an Epoch of Rysos game some years back. And there was a space station that you guys had docked at. And there was a businessman on the space station where some things about him looked shady. Now, it was not this black and white. We know for a fact he's the bad guy. He certainly had some information, and he had some things that looked questionable. And they were there to steal stuff. Well, (laughs) we were the bad guys. Yeah, Yeah. and what you guys did was you broke into his place of business, hacked his computers, tried to physically steal things, and when I think it was Pat's character ended up confronted by a security guard of his and then two security robots... That stunned him. They didn't kill him. They could have. They should have, maybe. But (laughs) they didn't, you know, they just stunned him and dragged him downstairs to CEO, who's just like, okay, you know, I could call the police. He was enough of a mover and shaker on that station. He could have blown you all at the airlock and nobody would have batted an eyelash. But he's like, you know, I'm not even going to call the cops or anything. What the hell is going on here? And why have you broken into my place of business? And all of a sudden, he's the Right. And when he's in a case where he should be doing the challenge and response. Yeah. And all of a sudden said, he's the bad guy and he has to prove his innocence. Mm -hmm. And it's like, holy crap, who does this in real life and doesn't understand they're an asshole and, or depending on where you live, going to get shot or stabbed or your ass kicked. Well, and in the examples that we've we've given, the the two, you know, the the slapgate robot yeah. incident on the thing, and in mine where it's orcs and everyone's armed, it gives the sort of hint, I guess, that there is a potential tense combat situation here, and maybe the characters are acting in character because they're on edge, and so the adrenaline's flowing, and that's not the case. The, it, those are just part of the examples because I've seen this happen, and I've done this in cases where. There isn't a tense situation. It's you go into a bar. It's a bar you're comfortable with. It's a guy you know, but you found out that he might know something about the plot. And you sidle up to the bar. And you don't say, hey, Jimmy, how's it going? Hey, I heard about this thing. You're like, where were you on the night of the 25th? In character, the player usually doesn't think they're being rude. They don't really think that they're necessarily even being direct. It is an exchange of information at that point. When, to my mind... That should be the role playing. That should be the role playing where it's just like, well, you know, I'm going to try and talk to the guy. And in the course of the conversation, I'm going to try and get the information and still maintain the relationship. And it, it it's just not usually sometimes how it works out. You know, a good comparison of that is not the last guy's a glass game, but the game before that. <laughs> Cyrus Wise. No, I was thinking the last session before when I got the information about uh, Doc Poe and I confronted him the same way these people confront the NPCs. 
but I think that was in character, yeah. and instead of an you NPC, it's another character, and I thought there was really good role play. Well, back yeah. and forth okay, because yes, because because the other player isn't going to ratchet his response down like as a GM we tend to do. Yeah, we tend to softball our NPCs back at them and accept unacceptable behavior. See, in the D and D campaign or the D and D game we did on Sunday, I agree with you. That's what we tend to do because we. As game masters, we want to give them the information. The players are interested enough to be asking these questions, and we want to deliver that and make that happen. But I got sick of it. Again, not bashing my players. I do this. Everyone does this. I got sick of it, so I had my NPCs be belligerent. And they kept saying, it's just, you know, it's they kept interrogating my NPCs. My NPCs were like, shut up, because they're orcs. They're not mannered. They're like, shut up and eat. It's breakfast time. What do you think you're doing asking me these questions? How dare you? And they kept asking, who are you? Who are you? And they're like, but the NPCs had asked them first, who are you? What is your name? And their response was, who are you? And they're like, big tough orcs, right? They're like, no. <laughs> who the hell are you? Who's your father? And I, I, did, I got on this line of who your father was. It really unnerved the players, I think, because they're like, you don't even know our... Because their parents are very yeah. important. They're like, you don't even know our parents. Why do you care about our parents? Well, it's a patriarch society. It's like, are you... Is your father... Are you Joe, son of the farmer? Or are you Joe, son of crazy knight who's done all these battles? Using this situation as an example. Looking for some advice on this as a player. Mm-hmm. So I asked the questions about why do you care about the, right. the parents? So I could find out. Mm-hmm. I assumed it was a cultural thing as a yeah. player. Character doesn't know that. Right. I was trying to get some of that culture out of them. And the same thing. My character was fascinated by the uh, the one that could see visions. Right. And I was trying to get... Imp- get that out and have that conversation. Yeah. I utterly failed. And I, as a game master, I failed in that too, because I was sitting there and I, I saw what you were doing. So what Wayne, Wayne's character was doing, he's a wizard. He's second level. He's very young. And you're going down the path of uh, divination. Yes. Right. And he, he's just starting this journey of, of divination thing. And Wayne's character is also very curious too. And he was asking these questions and, so one of our characters is a half orc. Yeah, and these weren't plot questions. Right. These were And so the seer was able to talk the paladin of a totally different religion into giving her some of her blood, which I was shocked. I mean, that actually yeah. threw me off base because they're usually scared and paranoid. And Dawn's character was like, Yep, sure, here you go. Slip the knife, pour it in the bowl. And I wasn't planning on doing anything crazy with it. She was going to do some divination on this character because she was a half orc. And Wayne's character was asking about it, but I was so shocked that they went <laughs> for it that I'm like, and I, I totally, I just had her give a, a response of, well, you're not an orc. You don't have strong blood in you or something like that. And then I went on and I'm like, oh, shit. <laughs> Damn it. He was engaging in role play and I walked right by it. I'm so sorry. And then you were asking about the, the names and stuff, but it, yeah. was, it wasn't so much that I was trying to blow by it. There was, a, there was back and forth right. because people were like, who are you? No, who are you? No, who are you? And I'm, I'm trying to decide, okay, who's going to break first? Should I have my NPCs break and tell them their yeah. name and show weakness? And I think I was the one that did. Yeah, I actually yeah. gave out a name and a right. father and all of that. And so that was really cool. And everyone else was like, don't tell them that much. Yeah. And well, it was really cool 
Because you were like, well, my father is this. Well, who is your father? Well, my father is this, gave a name. No, who is your father? And then you got it, and you're like, my father is this great barbarian, he's a great general, and he's led these battles. And, and he's an asshole. And he's an asshole. And, and then their response was like, well, your father sounds like a great man, but and, and you were very wise because you know him because they, he knows he's an asshole. He's honest about it, and they, they actually gave respect. So at first, I guess to kind of segue into the advice part of this, so the whole situation was there was almost a fight, but it, there wasn't. They sat down to breakfast, and then instead of behaving like polite, civilized human beings and nobles like they are, they started acting like 1950s police detectives and shining lights so, on the NPCs. Before we get to advice per se, I want to dissect this a little bit okay. further. Because I'm thinking through what strikes me as the best example of this I've had in a game of mine recently, which is the way that you guys handled Cyrus Weiss in the first leg of the Skies of Glass campaign. And for anyone that's not been listening to that, for anyone who is, I'll keep this short. But he is a... Com- Competing merchant who used to work for one of the great houses, one of the industrial houses of St. Louis, and ended up getting ejected from the house and went out on his own and started a competing merchant ship. Now, he did take some bribes to sell some information. and He did some kind of questionable things. Ha! I knew it. But, but, well, I mean, you guys figured that out within the course of the plot, but... He was largely ignorant of mm-hmm. the significance of the information. He's, in many ways, he's a shrewd merchant, but he's otherwise kind of a hapless idiot. You know, he wasn't doing this with an understanding of the degree of harm it was going to cause. He never killed anyone. You know, he was just, once again, he's more of a hapless idiot mm-hmm. who got backed into a corner and made some bad choices. But holy crap, the way you guys bullied him every time, even before he made that Mm -hmm. sale. You know, every time you encountered this guy, you spit on his book, you broke his leg, you always talked down to him. And I think there were two things, and I want to look at this from a player's perspective, a GM's perspective. How did this dynamic occur? And this is something I think all these situations share. The first is, and we've hit on this a little bit, the player's presupposition of a moral high ground, that because they are privy to information, which may even be as metagame as we know what we as players want to be in this world, and therefore that makes us either good guys or at least the story's protagonists, and we are the main characters of the story, therefore anyone we encounter is morally or plot-wise or whatever lesser than we are and therefore whatever we do is on conscious or subconscious level justified because we walk into this we don't know who they are but we know we're the good guys and so therefore if they have property rights or social indignation (laughs) or whatever clearly they are somehow bad guys but from a gm's perspective what i always get caught up in is how far do i want to take this because I know, given how hair trigger the players are, that if the NPCs escalate too much, this is going to end in one of two ways. Either the NPC is going to end up dead, or the players are going to end up dead. Let's look at the Skies of Glass game. Cyrus Weiss eventually gets his own crew. What I had to do to get him off the table 
was have him start hiding behind his crew. Mm. Because if I let you guys bully him one more time in front of his own hired guns, there was going to be a bloodbath. Mm. And I don't know who would have won, but there were going to be dead people on both sides. And it's like, man, do I really want to kill a bunch of player characters who are this well-developed and this integrated? Do I want to have a game-wiping bloodbath over the fact that they are bullying in only moderately significant NPC. Let's be realistic. You wanted to, but you wouldn't because it would hurt the game. <laughs> yeah, I didn't. I, he wasn't worth destroying the campaign over. You know what happened with the Rat Man? You guys outrolled him, but he's an NPC big enough mm-hmm. that I was willing to draw some blood there. What ended up happening in the cave with I, I forget his name, but the priest, you know, who was the one that actually killed Brodor's character. That was a significant enough thing I was willing to draw some blood over it. And there was more going on in those two situations than social bullying. Mm. That was Those were not car NPCs. Right. You guys were not in a challenge and response situation. There was a much more mm-hmm. at stake. And so there I'm willing to do it. But Cyrus? No, he's a challenge and response NPC. Or at least that's how he got treated. He had information. He was, for the most part, once again, a, a mid-level NPC. He was mostly just a hapless idiot who knew a few bits of information you guys didn't. Nah, f*** that guy. And it's like, did I really want to kill two or three of you over him? The campaign's not worth him. Mm. Well, I think NPCs can be set up by this in the initial reaction. So the first time we saw Cyrus, Pops dealt with him. Yeah. Pops made a fool of him and got away with it. Mm-hmm. So at that point, even though all the characters didn't necessarily see that, most of them did, the players all saw that. And in our minds, he then became yeah. the joke. The, he became a bigger character with something that happened later. But when we saw him again, this is the guy that pops spit in his book. Right. That's not necessarily what the characters saw, but that's definitely what the players saw. Right. Is This is the guy we made a fool of. He's one of the stooges. Yeah. Do you really think, and this is an honest question, not a sarcastic one, do you think that's what it boils down to as a form of social bullying or a social follow the leader? Like kind of the same way that we make old jokes about Chris or Ouija hmm. boards jokes about Brodor or Dan can't find his horse's jokes. Or, yeah. And, you know, people within the community right. latch on to that. They roll with that. In and, every case, no. In the case of Cyrus, I believe it's so. Yeah. Because when he came back that was one of the first things we went to was that's the guy that pops spit in his book right that got brought back up again and he was the stooge because pops had treated him like a stooge that's definitely not the case with every npc in every situation that one though i think Mm -hmm. that's what it was that initial interaction sealed his fate in the players minds for the rest of the campaign and our early interactions with him he was the competition or he was someone who is a barrier, like a bureaucratic barrier to us. And so we were just having none of that. I mean, on one hand, yeah, players think they're are egotistical and think they're better than all the NPCs. On the other hand, our characters, or at least my character specifically, felt he was better than him in every way. Yeah. Because he my character is egotistical. (laughs) Well, and that's a fair point. Is I mean you can certainly have games 
where that's the kind of character you're playing and that's mm-hmm. intentional and it's appropriate. Yep. Maybe you really are playing L.A. Noir. <laughs> so, and right. That's and then, <laughs> yeah. Then so you have a lamp with you at all times to plug in and point at NPCs yep. and just start asking them, grilling them for informational questions. And there are people that really act like that. Yeah. They don't get along well in the type of society that we mm-hmm. typically go around in, but there are people that act like that. And this also kind of goes back for me to, we did a topic a long time ago, of something I struggle with as a GM is having my NPCs give out information. This is one of the reasons why, mm. because I want them to give out information. When the players come at me and start interrogating, I don't want to just give them that information anymore because I, that character would not just divulge right. when he's being treated like, like, right. like yeah. Well, and I, I think the player, not the characters, because again, we're, we're talking that if it's in character, it's in character. Yeah. I think players do that because there have been a lot of bad GM decisions. I mean, that I've made, that everybody here has made, that, that all GMs have made, where they think, we think as GMs, we're being very coy and we've got this layer of plot and all these different layers and all this big mystery. And we are not forthcoming with the story and the plot. And we, the players feel they have to earn it. And maybe the game masters feel they have to earn it. And you know what? That's tiring. That is, is. very yeah. exhausting the as only, a player. I, I it's mean, not fun. Game masters, you can set the bar a little bit here. Yeah. Because if you don't want your players beating every NPC they encounter for information or torturing them or acting like an a-hole to them, Part of this isn't coming upon you to give them other ways of finding the information. Right. Now, that's not saying that excuses or explains away all of this, certainly not the volume of it. But I will say that I've been in that position where I went to some very, very antisocial behaviors because of the fact that I felt I couldn't get the information any other way. Mm. And so my character started behaving in an increasingly ignorant and violent and criminal ways uh, because yeah the game master was being too coy or or sometimes they even do things like well all this conversation is is the enemy is going to twirl their mustache tell you something about their evil plan because here's going to be the plot reveal and that's just a prelude to a fight anyway right so So why bother investing role play in it yeah so of course you're hostile from the outset because it's a hostile exchange yeah it, it, you're just trying to get as much information as you can before you beat them to death. And again, going back to the the orc thing or the sog thing or the, any many of the examples that we've given, I think we've kind of done a disservice because a lot of the examples we've given are ones that are tense and violent. Because I've seen this happen in situations that aren't tense and aren't violent or don't lead to violence. Those are harder to remember, though. They're, they're hard to remember. They don't quite stand out as well. But I've I've seen. I know they've happened. So I know and, it happened in the Dresden game, but I'm not coming up with good examples. Yeah. I think that challenge and response thing still happens because I think there's old history there. Maybe not even with you. Maybe you see yourself as a really good game master and you are very free-flowing with the information, the plot, and all that sort of stuff. But maybe the players have had situations with other game masters where they weren't. and They had to fight for the info. They had to fight for the story and to fight for the progression of the story. And maybe that's why they do these horrible interrogations <laughs> instead of human conversations. But what can players do? And then what can GMs do? About All right. It? So let's start with the player side. I think one of the, it's all their fault. 
Well, I, you know, I don't think it's all their fault, but I will say if, if you want my opinion, I think 75% of it is. I mean, they're the ones doing the action. I, I, okay. They're, and I, I'm going to probably pull some flack for this. So I'm going to couch this very carefully because I think to use a phrase I haven't used in a while, I don't want people to overhear me. Right. I don't want people to hear me as saying something bigger or stronger than I'm actually saying. Years and years and years back during the moral panic of the 80s into the early 90s, there was this accusation that role-playing games encouraged fundamental evil, which mm. I think everyone in this room can agree, okay, unless those seeds were already there, no, they didn't. All right. they did was they gave you an outlet for expression, and most people, generally speaking, played the good guys anyway. Fanfiction.net gives the same outlet, baby. <laughs> but, <laughs> yep. but I do think there's something that, while I don't think it is true i don't think it is a broad brush truth of role-playing i think it is truer than the former statement which is that role-playing games do seem to be much more of an outlet for antisocial or for lack of a better term criminal behavior well why would you want to role-play getting a house a wife and a kid and yeah. a nine-to-five job and a good retirement package yeah you said <laughs> you go you go out you find things you ask your wife she plays sims that's true. <laughs> you go out, you find things to kill, you take their stuff, you do a lot of breaking and entering, mm-hmm. you do a lot of social bullying. There's a lot of very, very bad behaviors that the average player character engages in. I'm not saying yeah. this is universal. When univers- was the last time in a game a character stopped and said, should we just call the cops on this? Right. Yeah. It's and, their job here. And, and I'm yeah. not saying this is universally true. I'm not saying this is true of all games. I'm not saying this is true of all characters. I'm not saying this is true of all players. I don't even necessarily know that I think it is true of more situations in a role-playing game than not. I'm just saying that I think there is some wind in this sail, whereas the role-playing games encourage flat-out evil, I think is just patent BS. But this one, I think you could at least make the argument there is some truth to it. And so what I would say from a recommendation to players, I think players really need to think about their actions in terms of what if you lived in a lawful society? Because too many of the games that we play set a bar that you either exist in a lawless society or you exist in a place where the laws don't reach. You're in the international waters. So either you exist in some place like Skies of Glass where the vast majority of the world is a lawless wilderness or maybe it's something more like D&D where there's law in this one city and its mm-hmm. surrounding areas, but you're adventuring beyond that in the mountains where nobody is in charge out here. Right. And so you suddenly start acting as if you are someone that has no civility, no, let's put aside moral compass, no social compass that uh, I hate to draw on a D&D alignment system here, but it's not about good versus evil. It's about law versus chaos. Mm -hmm. And you start to become this self-guiding, self-righteous moral agent. And I I think that's something that players just need to at least consciously think about. Wow, why are we not looking for a more reasoned solution or a more even-keeled... Wayne, like you said, why do we never hit the point of, screw this, let's call the cops. (laughs) Somebody hit me in a bar... Okay, instead of tearing apart the bar and burning down some old couple's livelihood, <laughs> why don't we just get the town garden here to put these people in irons? Yeah. 
Yeah, it's just something that does. Cops got better things to do than get killed. Yeah, you know, <laughs> it just doesn't come up. Shadowrun, this makes sense. Yeah, Be- especially if you're playing a depending on the edition, either sinless or sandless or whatever character. Okay, it makes sense. You can't call the cops. You have to deal out street justice. That's just how yeah. it works. Well, I think a lot of games but, are designed for that. Let's say an urban fantasy game, Dresden or any other urban fantasy, World of Darkness. There is this secret world that the mortals don't know about. So you can't just call the cops because they you are not involved cops. in this. Yeah. Well, and depending on yeah. exactly which subsetting a world of darkness you're running, that exists. Yeah. I mean, now sometimes it's so political that it's useless to your, it is itself your enemy or whatever. But I might, my point being though, that depending on what you're doing, that might exist. It seems like the nature of just going through all the games I've ever played then one of the things that it really encourages is that anti-establishment yeah. aspect. The If there is something established, a kingdom, a government, they're probably the bad guys, or they're probably a lot of politics, and you don't want to involve them yeah. because they're just going to make everything worse. Let me give a real-life parallel here. One of the things that I have found is absolutely true in all of my life, and maybe some of this comes from growing up in a place like the Midwest, raised by a Southern father, where courtesy is a big deal. But I have found it is so much better in life. You will get so much more out of people with please and thank you and a smile than you will out of being a jerk. Now, that's not to say there aren't situations in life where you have to stand up for yourself. That's not to say there aren't situations in life where you don't have to ratchet things up. Yes, there are times to turn up to a 10, But there is a huge cultural difference between, let's say, St. Louis, where people tend to start at a one and work their way up to a 10 or at least Mm -hmm. a two or a three versus Manhattan, where people start at a nine. Right. And barely have any room to ratchet up. And player characters start at an 11. (laughs) Yeah, I, I mean, ish. But I think players ought to say, okay, let's try some base level courtesy. Let's try not walking around with a chip on our shoulder. Let's evaluate what we're doing. And in turn, game masters, if you want your players to do that, it has to be effective. Right. right. There, yeah. there has to be. Now, I accept not every situation works out this way. Tool in the tool bag. Mm-hmm. But if there is nobody that they can talk to where please and thank you gets them anywhere, right. then of course they're going to have a chip on their shoulder with yeah. everyone they encounter. And they're going to carry around their lamp. Yeah. Plug in and shine lights in people's and, faces. Okay, in the case of the two orcs, I get it. Yeah. They're orcs. What yeah. are orcs in D&D? You open the book, it says they're some form of evil, neutral right. evil or something. I forget what. But, but somebody in the party is half orc. Yeah, sure. But it says, you know, it's in the rule book that the orcs are evil. Now, can, mm-hmm. can an orc be good? Yeah. These weren't good. They're but, evil. But, 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 but evil doesn't mean... They made them breakfast. Was the breakfast poisoned? No. Okay. Well, and they... They, there was a lot of interrogation questions to the game master about the breakfast. Is it cooked meat? Yep. I think they were kind of dancing around trying to avoid asking me if this was human. eating humans. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Now, the reason I asked about the cooked meat is because the goblins ate raw meat. Ate raw meat, yeah. So did the goblins make the food or did they make they the food? food? That's yeah. why I asked that question. Yeah. And because I also have the ability to flavor food. So. Right. You know, th- see, that's the kind of, co- that's the interrogation I like, though is interrogation of the game master. Because here's the thing that I think a lot of game masters don't understand. Your players are blind. You're making this world 
they can't see and you describe it to them. So you think you've described everything that they need to know, but they have questions. Yeah, that being an example, I don't know in this setting, right? do orcs eat cooked meat or raw meat? I know goblins prefer raw meat because they've said that when mm-hmm. we cook the meat, it makes it disgusting. So that's my first question about the breakfast setup is, is it raw meat or is it cooked? If it's right. cooked, the character might eat it. If it's raw, I'm not eating yeah. it. Right. And from a game master standpoint, look, if you want to encourage this behavior, back off a little. Mm-hmm. As I said before, this has to be effective. There has to be ways they can get information that doesn't require them strangling somebody. Well, if you make a situation that looks threatening, well, of course they're going to respond right. in a threatening way. If you make it such that please and thank you don't ever get them anywhere or don't ever turn a grumpy NPC <laughs> into a cooperative one, well, why are you going to keep chasing something that's ineffective? Well, well and if, there are NPCs that you encounter that, as a player, I don't have anything to say to. Yeah. So, using this exact game as an example, there is a giant spider creature. It wasn't an NPC. It was a bag full of experience. Yeah. <laughs> we tried talking to it like an NPC, and yeah. really all it has to say is, leave or I'm going to eat you. No, it didn't say leave or I'm going to eat you. It said, are you... Are slave you here, or food. Yeah, are you slave or food? Did you come here to be my slave, or did you come here to be my food? <laughs> That's what he opened up with. And, yeah, there wasn't a, much of a conversation to be had. If, but I didn't want to be that asshole that just throws a spell and starts yeah. the fight. Right. I wanted to let someone else start the fight, but I should have just opened up. On you should have opened up, because I had the spider open up, and he was on the ceiling, and there's a big, huge room, and it. I missed, and he did the try and web somebody, yeah. and it kind of sp- Right next to somebody. Sure. Well, I, like, I think from a game master, from a game master standpoint, let's say for a minute you had wanted something more out of that spider. Right. I think in that situation, I would have put it back on the game master. If you had them run into a gigantic spider that opens up with slaver food. Mm-hmm. You think there's going to be a genteel conversation <laughs> here, right? But we actually tried it. They, yeah. they tried it. It's That's like, the NPC we were right with. Right. Yeah. yeah. So Shelob, you're willing to chat with, but <laughs> the Waffle House orcs <laughs> were beyond redemption. Right. Yep. Right. <laughs> well, and I think that it's sort of a twofold thing. Getting back to like what players can do, or what as a game master I want to see from the players. I want the players to interrogate me, the game master. I want them to ask me hard, direct, quick questions. You go in this room, this is happening, and this is what it looks like. Well, is the room dark or is it lit? Is the You said there's a fire. Is it a big fire? Are they cooking something? Uh, you say that they're orcs. Are they big? Are they armed? Are they, is there a lot of them? I want the boom, 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 boom. That is what I want because I'm helping you see what I see. When you go to talk to the orcs or any NPC, again, because I I still think the orcs was a bad example on my part. But when you go to talk to the NPCs, I don't want you to do the interrogation. I don't want you to boom, 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 unless it's part of the character or whatever. I want you to think, like, how would you do this in this situation? I mean, obviously, you know, you or I are faced with big orcs or something. We'd probably run and go get guns and call the cops and stuff. But... What would your characters do? Would they say hello or would they say, you know, breakfast? Are you sure we're not going to fight? Okay, well, we'll sit down. Hi, I'm Chad the Barbarian. You are? (laughs) You know, it's like, 
I'm very suspicious of this, but let's play your game for a minute, and then we'll see what happens. So using that line of, I'm very suspicious of it, but let's play the game, Mm -hmm. that takes me to another example where I didn't quite get what I was trying to get to, Mm -hmm. and it became this type of thing. Skies of Glass, last game I think it was, when I'm talking to the AI, that became an interrogation. Yeah. I was hoping to have it become more of a conversation, more natural, but I just couldn't come up with a way to do that with the with the AI after everything we'd come oh, into. Oh, I well on that one, yeah, I I was not surprised in the least because of the fact that certainly it is behaving in ways that are incredibly suspicious. Right. You guys had found out later that okay, maybe it wasn't guilty of all the things you thought it was, or even maybe everything you thought it was guilty of, but it sure as hell looked like. It had a lot of blood on its hands. It had been hiding. It had been nudging a character to do things that may or may not be evil. You know, there's a, you guys had every reason to be suspicious of that thing. And it was answering the questions like it was being interrogated. Well, and that was something I decided was I had to make that decision when you started interrogating it. I had to make the decision. Wayne has every reason to be hostile and suspicious. And it's like, if I want the conversation to remain at that level or go a different direction, that's on me now. And that's why I chose. I had to think about it for a bit. And that's why I finally did have, after you tried to draw the AI out several times, I'm like, okay, it's going to respond to you. And it tried to be at least somewhat cooperative and de-escalate the situation. And you have the advantage of it's an AI, so it doesn't have to think like a person. Right. Where a person might be offended by things. But it, it necessarily. can at least be polite. And it was, it did have sufficient emotions that it was trying to plead with you to understand that it wasn't responsible for that massacre and whatnot. And so there were things that I was able to do as a game master after I saw you kind of come out the gate swinging, which once again, in that situation, you had every right to and de-escalate that into a different tone. And as a player, I was looking for a way to de-escalate it because I wanted to get it to be a conversation. And it's why after the role play back and forth, I said that he continues to small talk while they drive because I couldn't get the small talk out in character. Mm-hmm. Just because I, as a player, failed to do what I wanted to do doesn't mean the character has yeah, to Well, fail. and I have noted that. As a game master, that is something I've scrolled away in the back of my head, is even though we didn't role-play out all the small talk, because you went out of your way to say, I am having friendly conversation with it, I have scrolled away in the back of my head that if we were to go back to good old D&D 2nd Edition, there was it the reaction chart or the NPC? Yep. Mm. There's an attitude chart. Oh, the, that's my problem. I didn't have the orcs roll in the random attitude yeah. chart. <laughs> well, it starts off at you can start oh, off roll at ponce and murderous. Great. That, that <laughs> they utterly hate you, yeah. and you can shift that through different things up a scale or down a scale. Why don't I just decide? Well, I know I agree <laughs> with you. I'm not disagreeing yeah. with you, but I'm just saying though that if we were to use that as right. a metaphor. In my head, I have noted that this AI now has a more friendly view of you than it did before because you didn't engage it in an adversarial fashion, or at least you did not sustain an adversarial interaction. And Chad, to your why can't I just decide, Mm -hmm. you can. That table was partially to, as they make social roles, to move it up 
the chart or down the chart oh, as like they succeed or fail. Thing. Yeah, so you start it at wherever you want it to be, mm. but they make efforts to move things up and down. Yeah, and player action, or in some cases, I think there were non-weapon proficiencies, which in later editions became outright skills that you could use to start trying to push that reaction chart, you know, up or down. So there was some agency to it. It was not a hardcore you know, riffs save against fear of boats, <laughs> right. but it, it did still have some mechanic to it, which, you know, fine, whatever. I mean, there's still games that do that. I, I think uh, the burning stuff does that as an example. They have this whole gonorrhea. Yeah, <laughs> no, they, they have like burning wheel and such. They have this whole like conversation mechanic, right. and such. But yeah, I mean, the point is though, that I, as a game master had this in the signal to you, that there were other ways through this and that I wasn't going to escalate at every turn to match where you were at because from the NPC's perspective, okay, it's only a half their AI, but it still is intelligent enough to understand why you think what you think in the same way that let's talk about an orc. Mm -hmm. You know, look, if you're an orc and 99.99% of your race is, horribly evil and eating people and serving but we have a half orc in the dark right. oh, i know but look D D. there's a chance to learn about her people and she didn't care look <laughs> let's just call it a spade a spade here D is really racist yeah, yeah yeah i mean and it's been yeah. established in this setting too yeah, a yeah half no, orc, I, I play out the racism a half orc like, is not an orc and there's a difference it's it's yeah. very eugenic i mean it's yeah. not Right, wrong, and different. Maybe that's just how fantasy realms work. Maybe it's true. I don't know. But the fact that it's an orc, if it's not an evil orc, they're still cognizant of the fact that 99.99% of their race is. Now, how do you get a player to be that cognizant of, here's why they think you're an asshole? Well, and so that's something that I'm exploring. Don't be an idiot. <laughs> that's something that I'm exploring with this game, too. And I'm not sure that all the players have have kind of latched onto that yet where the group has encountered several evil npcs and they're in D&D terms these are monsters that you kill whether they're human or not and i'm playing this game where they're evil but just because their alignment's evil that doesn't mean that they just can't stop themselves from stabbing everybody in the face. Oh, yeah. We've already, to an extent, we've already explored this. Good old Gnarl. Mm-hmm. He was a mad dog holding Evil. his own. Gnarl. Yeah, he was a mad dog holding his own leash. Mm-hmm. Now, that's the only thing that restrained him was the, him tugging on his own leash. Yeah. yeah. Chet, you've said many times every game for you has some theme that you want to right. explore. I picked up on this one pretty quickly that yeah. it's evil can be talked to that evil isn't they met they met an undead who is objectively evil like the paladin scanned it which i'm really starting to hate that (laughs) that's getting that's getting weird for me where we have a paladin who can just look at you and magically say yeah this one's evil what (laughs) i mean come on but they encountered an undead who is, again, objectively evil, who treated them better than anyone's treated them before and who legitimately loves them because he is a friend of their parents and he considers them their weird uncle and he'll do anything for them. They don't trust him. Some of them are scared of him. But still, they were able to engage and talk to them. 
they encountered another guy who was another undead, an intelligent undead, who was this spirit of vengeance who they were like, okay, this is this guy's evil. This is a problem. This guy's an evil. And then they started talking to him. Thank you very much, Wayne. <laughs> they started talking to him and they found out, yeah, he's evil. And his evil is kind of unexcusable, but they found out why he was evil. And they're like, okay, that's that's kind of on us because he's like the spirit of vengeance sort of thing. And uh, their parents did some very, very bad things to him and his family. I mean, really bad things to him. And uh, they're like, okay, yeah, he's evil, but mm, yeah, that, that's more us sorry, yeah. sort of thing. And, and But how do you deal with that? You know, how how do you interact with this person? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, once again, I'll go back to Narl. I knew that coming in that he's mm-hmm. not just a character who was lawfully evil. Once again, he was a mad dog holding his own leash. But it was established in the setting. His species had invaded and attempted to destroy or conquer. Mm-hmm. And in the process, the towns they did capture, they did terrible things to. And I have, I came into that game knowing when he walks into a town... He played two roles. At first, he's a sideshow. Mm-hmm. Come get near the big scary monster for a copper. Right. Or see a if copper, he, man. We undercharged. Well, that was to let like kids climb on mm-hmm. him and stuff. Yeah. Or see if you can go wager a silver to see if you can go around with him in the ring. You know, where he wasn't using claws and right. teeth. It was just he was huge. He was like seven and a half feet tall, yeah. you know, and so see if you can make a round or two with him or whatever it was. And so he was playing a role where his fear that, that he caused mm-hmm. his horrificness. That was the cell. Yeah, it, he was. He knew he was a sideshow and he had no qualms about that. And then once you guys reached a point or we reached a point rather where we were no longer a traveling circus. He still understood that when he entered the town, people were very, very suspicious of him. Mm. And those that weren't showing suspicion only were not allowed to do so because Pat was running the town. Right. But he still went out of his way to not behave in menacing fashions. He kept himself groomed. He would first time in the palace they were offering him food and liquor and to be blunt whores mm. and what he asked for well, instead Pat, it's pat's palace it's pat's palace it's pat's <laughs> pleasure palace and instead all narl asked for was a bath mm-hmm. and not an x-rated one i mean right, just right. like he wanted somebody to like draw warm water and brush out his fur so right. he wasn't so filthy and you know but everywhere he went he understood that or he'd be like, I look, I can't go in there. There's an orphanage and I may have been the one that just saved it. But one of you has to be the one to go in there and tell the headmistress it's safe now. Yeah. Because if I go in there, it's going to be World War Three. Well, and these guys are about to encounter someone in the next game who is good, who is legit good. Like Paladin scans them. They're good. They can't be anything but good. They're going to hate her because well, yeah. <laughs> she's not going to put up with their good people. Well-meaning people can disagree. Yeah. yeah. I've been hoping that at some point we would have a big, big bad, if you will. Mm-hmm. That's actually just good. Right. That whatever yeah. they're trying to do is good. But our parents have some nasty things in their past yeah. and they're not necessarily so good. good. Good or even neutral. I mean, look, well-meaning yeah. people can disagree. 
not everyone who disagrees with you, and this is in real life as much as anything else, not everyone that disagrees with you is an evil monster. Right. And that's part of how I think the world can work in role-playing games as well, is good factions can be in legitimate and even violent disagreement. It's also possible someone could come to you guys and they've got a chip on their shoulder and they're right. Mm -hmm. Like this undead vengeance. Yeah. Spirit you have age, every you know. reason to apologize, right. to want to make amends, not to be like, well, how dare you step up to me? Yeah. This NPC that they're going to be interacting with next week, I mean, she's good. She's extremely, extremely good. And she's powerful. And she's imperious. And how they treated those two orcs suddenly defined her character. Because they need her to answer some questions and she's not going to put up with this shit of who are you, where are you going, what's going on with this. She'll be like, well, first, you can go fuck yourself. <laughs> and then second, why don't you try that again? Yeah. And who are you to talk to me sort of thing is something that they're going to start hearing a lot of. You know, as crazy as it is, this is one place where I think the card is leading the horse in that I think video games are helping to break this down a bit. It's crazy because, you know, it's always been video games are the more limiting mm -hmm. form of storytelling. But one of the things that video games are starting to allow more and more is social solutions to otherwise violent problems. Yeah. I look yeah. back at Fallout 3. I bumped up my charisma and went through most situations talking my way out of it instead of fighting. Yeah. That was the first game that I've ex that I experienced where I could really do that. Usually there's one or two things, but that was yeah. like half the game I didn't I, have to combat. I, I don't remember the counts, but people have done counts for all the recent Bethsoft or Bethesda Softworks mm -hmm. games, like Oblivion, Skyrim, uh, Fallout 3, Fallout New Vegas, Fallout 4, of what is the minimum number of people you can kill without cheating. So yeah. you're not cheesing or clipping through geometry or using any hacks or whatever. You are legitimately playing the game as it is meant to be played. How few living things can you kill and make it through the game completely successfully? And it is a surprisingly small number. I believe in all of them, once again, if you're not cheating, you do have to kill a person or two. But it's a very low body count. The original Deus Ex uh, was two, and you could talk your way through situations and sneak and hide. I believe in the second Deus Ex game, I think it was zero, but I could be wrong. It's been a long time since I played it. And uh, was it, the, the more recent two in uh, Mankind Divided and Human Revolution mm -hmm. or whichever yeah. order those were in. I think there was a couple of like the bosses you had to kill, and that was about it. Mm -hmm. That all, everyone else, you could either talk your way past, even some of the bosses. Metal Gear Solid. The game punishes you for killing people. Yeah, it actually, yeah, it does. Yeah, like in Fallout, there's there will always be the bosses. There are the creatures. You can't reason with a creature you can't talk yeah, to. Yeah, I mean, no, you can. can. And depending on the Fallout game, well, you can get the creature taming perks. Yeah, the perks. Later on. Later on, yeah. Where, or you have to punch a few rad scorpions sure. on the there. <laughs> but I mean, I, once again, I'm not saying yeah. the body counts zero, but even early on, you can stealth, you can mm -hmm. run, you mm -hmm. don't have to stand and fight. And then later on, you get the ability to tame them and to charisma them into their mm -hmm. place or whatever. So I'm not saying the body counts zero. I don't believe it is in any of the yeah. games, but it is very low. So, all right. Once again, food for thought. I don't think this is a cures all for every role playing ill, mm -hmm. but I do think it's another angle 
that if you're looking for those deeper stories and deeper characters, I think if you shine the light on it and ask the hard question, that's right. You'll come up with your solution. Do your yes. players carry lamps around with them or do they carry like a box of chocolates or something? <laughs> so thank you guys for tuning in. Once again, check the show notes for those two Kickstarters. One is for Derek Knutson's game along with its first module. And the other is for the second season of gamers table and I'll have to figure out what I'm going to get from them this time. I'm thinking I might make them do a sponsorship for a Boiler brand cornbread, but <laughs> I've not decided for sure. So yeah. anyway, thank you guys for tuning in, and we will catch you next time. See ya. This has been a production of Fear the Boot, copyright 2018. Listeners are free to use this episode in any non-commercial endeavor so long as credit is provided to feartheboot.com. You can find previous episodes and other resources at feartheboot.com. Fear the Boot is also a member of the RPG Academy network of shows. You can find other great shows in this network at therpgacademy.com slash network.